John 17, beginning at verse 11. This is God's holy and infallible word. I will remain in the world no longer. This is Jesus speaking, of course. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except that one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may truly be sanctified. That's God's word for us this morning. and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, in this chapter, we're getting a glimpse into something that is completely beyond our comprehension. Two persons of the Trinity communicating. The Son speaking to the Father. Each one, the Son and the Father, along with the Spirit, really and fully God, but distinct, This is something that no human being should be able to see or hear. But Jesus, all those years ago, prayed out loud before his disciples to graciously pull back the veil for them and for all his people up to today and to us. For two weeks, we looked at the opening of the prayer, just the first five verses, um, and that had this focus on God's glory And it also told us of those three absolutely perfect gifts that the Father gave to the Son. All authority, a precious people, and then eternal life. And that gift was a gift to give to us. Now we're in the rest of the prayer and we see why this is historically called the high priestly prayer. Priests in the Old Testament interceded for God's people. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing there. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for all his people down through the ages. What I want to zero in on this morning is the fact that Jesus is praying for you. Because each one of us is part of that very special people he loves and went to the cross for. His people as a whole, the church today and throughout the ages, is so precious to our God But if that's true, that also means that each individual in the church is precious to our God, including you. You're one of God's children. He loves you. You're precious to him. He's praying for you. You. Isn't it so meaningful when you know someone is praying for you? And I think especially if you're going through something really tough, right, to know that support. I mean, even a lot of non-believers 
will be willing to have you pray for them. And, and you know, that's a great in that, that many of us have found to share Jesus with somebody. You could meet someone, get in conversation with them, find out if they have an issue or need. Maybe they don't even know the Lord, but if after listening to them for a while, you say, would you let me pray with you about this? More often than not, they seem to say yes. And for a believer, someone who knows Jesus, to have someone praying for you, it's even more meaningful because we have some sense of what prayer means. And prayer is entering the throne room of God and it's the God of the universe hearing us. The one who's sovereign, all-powerful. So it means so much to have someone pray for us. Now, not only can we be blessed to have people praying for us, but the Bible is saying here that Jesus himself prays for you. God in the flesh, the one through whom all things were made in the beginning, the one who will return in full glory on the clouds one day and every knee will bow. He's praying for you as a child of God. Romans 8.34, Jesus is at the right hand of God and interceding for us. Jesus is going to the cross shortly after this prayer. Three days after, he will rise again. Forty days after that, he will ascend into heaven. All of that work is for his people. It's all for our benefit. The first benefit of Jesus' ascension to God's right hand, our catechism tells us, is this. Jesus is pleading our cause in heaven, in the presence of the Father. He's praying for you. First benefit of of, of him being up there. What he's saying exactly when he prays, we're not really told much in Scripture. You know, that Romans 8 passage just says he's interceding for us. There's no detail, but here, and that's what makes this a great chapter in Scripture and something to hold on to. Here we see what Jesus is praying for us exactly. And and so this morning, I, I want you to know, believer, that Jesus is praying for you. I want you to be comforted and assured and encouraged and lifted up by that today. What is he saying? There are a number of themes that stand out in these verses, and we're going to focus especially on three of them today. First of all, we see that Jesus is praying for your keeping and your protection. He prays in verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Verse 12, none of them is going to be lost. In verse 15, he prays that you'd be protected from the evil one. If you put all that together, you get what throughout history has been called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. That means God does not let his children go. None has been lost. It reminds us of chapter 10 where Jesus says, nobody will snatch the sheep out of his hand. This protection, this keeping, this perseverance is important because there are great dangers in life for Jesus' followers. And, and sometimes, you know, we like to go, go along and, and feel everything, everything's cool, everything's fine, nothing to worry about, not a care in the world. And the Bible comes to us again and again and again, reminding us to be 
to be vigilant. We read in family devotions just a couple nights ago, maybe it was last night, the armor of God. We need it. There are dangers without. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. He warned of enemies that will persecute his people, whether it's attacks directly because of a believer's faith, or it's just more general trouble that comes from the world. There is danger out there. And and you know what else? There are dangers within. We've got an old nature that tends to want to stick around and rear its ugly head and, and pull us into sin again and again. The sheep are prone to wander and we feel that. When we believe Jesus is our Lord and Master, but that old master, Satan, still tries, tries to get a foothold. Because of that danger without and within, Jesus prays for our protection. And the Lord will protect us. He will keep us. He won't let us go. That's something you can be assured of. Harry Ironside was the longtime pastor of Moody Church. I think started in late 1920s, maybe 1929, and then for many, many years after that. He once wrote, you may be sure that whenever the Father gives anyone to Jesus, he gives him for time and eternity. Such a one will never be lost. Philippians 1 says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. This is God's will that you be kept safe. And Jesus is praying for your keeping, so you can be assured that that keeping, it's going to happen and hold true in your life too. No matter what dangers you're feeling right now. In his classic book, The Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan gives us a pretty cool illustration of this. In chapter 5, Bunyan's central character, who's Christian, he meets a helper named Interpreter. Interpreter's job is to teach Christian crucial truths that he's going to need on his journey of faith, on on the road to glory. Well, one time, Interpreter shows Christian a fire that's burning right up against a wall, all right? And how someone was was standing by that fire, constantly trying to put the fire out by pouring water on it. But the fire didn't go out. Not only did it not go out, it burned higher and it got hotter. So, so Christian asks Interpreter, well, what does this mean? Interpreter explained, the fire is the work of grace that God produces in our hearts, the grace of trust in Christ and a love for him, But the devil is constantly attacking. He's trying to put out that fire by pouring on it the water of temptations and worries and trials and trouble. And then Interpreter wanted to show Christian how the fire, how it was that this fire not only kept burning, but it kept burning higher and it got hotter. And then he took Christian around to the back side of that wall where he saw a man who had a jar of oil in his hand and he kept pouring that oil into the fire. And so Christian asks again, well, what does that mean? And interpret that is Jesus, who is continually 
has the oil of his grace, maintaining that work already begun in the heart. The man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire, to teach that when we're under attack and we're in trouble, it can be hard to see that grace continuing to work in our souls. It's like it's hidden behind a wall, but it is still working. You know, and so if all we see is the flame of our faith and then we and the water of the devil pouring it out, well, that's pretty depressing and we might despair and we might want to give up. And that's why it's so crucial to see and be reminded of what Jesus is doing. Even as we see him praying for our protection and our keeping in this prayer, now and for the rest of your life, safely into glory, he's going to continue to pour out and in your flame the oil you need, his grace. Not only so that your faith is maintained and just sort of remains, but so that it could even grow hotter and grow bigger and higher. So we're called to see what Jesus is doing. He won't let you go. Never, ever. Second, Jesus is praying for your joy today. Verse 13, he's saying these things that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus is praying for your joy And that means he must want you to have joy in you, right? Excuse me again. The word for joy or rejoice, and joy is right in rejoice. You know, it's in the New Testament over 140 times. And often the word that's used for greetings or hello literally means joy be with you. The angel announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherd said, I bring you good news of great joy. Jesus says in John 15, 11, I've told you this, that your joy may be complete and my joy may be in you. So if you read the Bible, you'd get the impression that the Christian life is just filled with joy. Is that true in your life today? That joy. Is it in your life? Is it in your heart? Today in the Word, once told of a third century man anticipating death, and these are the last words he wrote to a friend. It's, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. And of course, he's talking about Christians. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life that you might think of. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. You might say, but pastor, you don't know my life and how many hardships I've had The joy, it can be so difficult. And I I hear that. I get that. I understand. The world is tough. Life is rough. There's so much, and that's an understatement for what a lot of people go through. There's so much that can sap our joy. But we can still have it. This is not a happy-go-lucky 
head-in-the-sand, superficial joy that the Bible talks about. That third-century man saw a joy yet in people going to their death in horrific ways for the faith. Paul preached the joy again and again and again, and he had it, though he was flogged and shipwrecked and abandoned and imprisoned and finally put to death for Jesus. Through it all, whatever it is, we can have the joy of the Lord. Jesus wants you to be a person of joy. It's why he's praying for you to have it. And sometimes with this joy thing, it seems that, that some people maybe have the joy inside to a certain extent, but fail to express it or show it really well. But if the New Testament is practically dripping with the fact that we can have joy, I don't think having it only inside is enough. We've got to show it, friends. You know, I don't want some person who's not a believer to read somehow, let's pretend somehow they they read this verse in Jesus' prayer about his followers having joy, me having joy, and say, oh, Jesus prays that. I'm looking at, at Pastor Greg and... I don't, really, I don't really see it, so maybe this faith isn't real. Let's express it. Let's smile. Let's let the joy come out for all to see. Let's let joyful words cross our lips so everyone can hear the joy our Jesus brings. We bring joyful worship. Jesus prays for you to have joy, and he has that joy for you. Take it and live it, and let's show it together. It's exciting. Third, Jesus is praying for your holiness. He's praying for your holiness. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Holiness means to be set apart from the world. So they are not of the world is talking about holiness. Verse 17, sanctify them. Sanctify means to be made holy. Verse 19, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified so that they may be made holy. We're in this world, people, but we're not of it. We are to be apart somehow. Holy. Holiness isn't the most exciting of topics maybe for some of us. I challenge you to get excited about it though because It's right at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. We are unholy and we're apart from our holy God as we confess this morning in prayer with Pastor Matthew. Jesus came to bring us to God again and with that comes becoming like our God, imitating Him and imitating Christ, becoming holy. Something that that might help help this click a little bit, I hope, and it it did for me this week in in a different way. Um, at the very end of the prayer, we didn't read to the very end. We'll, we'll get there next time. Jesus prays this. He says, and if you're, some of you I know have your Bibles open, it's verse 26. Um, he says at the, at the very end of the prayer, he prays that the love the Father has for him would be in us. Okay, The love that the Father has for him, he prays that it be in us. And that helps us understand what, what holiness is, maybe at a more practical level. 
Holiness is, is kind of a, an otherworldly word. And, and it, but, but that's what it's about. Holiness, practically speaking, is living. It's, being, it's loving. It's being, living a life of love. A holy man is a loving man. A holy woman is full of love. Jesus is praying for that to be happening in you. Holiness is something we need to seek and pray for. We need to be excited about pursuing it. C.S. Lewis said, How little people know who think holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. Be holy because we're called to be holy. God says, be holy as I'm holy. Period. That's a command. But also, you know, do it if you care about being irresistible for the Lord. Do it if you care about the lost. We're going to have more on this next time, but that's really important in our text because in verse 18, Jesus talks about our mission. He sends us out, he says. I'm sending you out. So it's part of our mission to be holy. You know, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that in order to reach the world, we got to become a little bit like the world. Jesus never made that mistake. He always maintained that distinction perfectly, of course, because he was our Savior, between being in the world and not of the world. And yet, he was the world's greatest light, wasn't he? Sinners of society wanted to be around him. It's very interesting, isn't it? I think sometimes we think, maybe we got to conform a little bit to the world if we want to reach that neighbor. If you want to reach people, the great evangelist, D.L. Moody, a couple Moody quotes this morning for whatever reason. Some great people came through there. D.L. Moody said, A holy life will make the greatest and deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. And our own great Heidelberg Catechism talks about our godly living, our holiness, winning our neighbors for Christ. And so Jesus is praying for your holiness today too. Next time we'll see again what Jesus is praying here, but this time we're going to look at our church. He's praying for the church everywhere. That means he's praying for our church. What is Jesus praying for Faith Church as we start a new fall ministry season together? What's he praying as as we worship, as we pray, as we give, as we serve, and, and all the rest? For this morning... With Jesus praying for your protection and keeping and your joy and your holiness, be assured that because of the finished work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working these things in your life. And and my prayer is that you may experience the security of being held tightly by the Lord and may you feel and know the joy, yes, but, but no, may you know it deep down. May God teach us how it can properly spill out in our lives, given all our different personalities. And may your holiness increase. May your life shine. May you be inspired to be sanctified. And as you do, make the faith 
irresistible to those around you, your loved ones, anyone you bump into. Amen.